0: Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain. My name is Paul Coliani, a personal empowerment coach, and this is where I help you tackle life's toughest challenges. I want to help you increase your emotional intelligence, strengthen your self-worth and self-esteem, and empower you so that you can make decisions that are right for you. Everything I talk about on the show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, I'm going to call this episode the Taking Care of Yourself episode. I got an email, I don't know, a month or two ago saying, you know, how many episodes do you really have that talk about just taking care of you? You know, you talk a lot about relationships, people in relationships, people with family, people with friends. I'm not one of those. (laughs) Not me, but uh, the person writing. Or I've had a few people write to me and say things like that where... I'm alone. I'm not in a relationship. I don't communicate with my family. I'm a loner. I'm an introvert. I am, you know, insert label here. And um, those people, yeah, I probably have neglected in the year 2017 and 2018. 2014 and 2015 and maybe some of 2016, I talked a lot about aligning with your values, honoring your personal boundaries, becoming more authentic. I've talked a lot about personal growth inside of you, how to improve you. And then throughout the next few years, I talked about how to bring this better, more improved version of yourself into relationships. I mean, I've scattered different teachings here and there from different episodes at different time periods, but you get the point. I've really covered a lot of the self-help. What can I do for me in a lot of the earlier shows? But I know that a lot of people don't listen from the beginning and tune into those earlier shows. Plus, it was a different vibe. My show was a little different back then. And between you and I, there were some shows that I scripted ahead of time so that I knew I would be saying the right thing. So uh If you listen to those earlier shows, you're going to to notice a different approach, a different vibe. It's not going to feel as, I don't know, connected. Like when I'm talking right now, I feel like I'm connecting with you. It's strange. I'm behind a microphone. It's going through the internet, coming to you as a digital format, as an MP3 file, coming through your podcast player as a voice in your ear. I still feel like I'm connecting with you. I don't do this without connecting with you. I put my energy out there to connect with you. It's like you're right there and I'm talking to you. And so I hear from people that say, it feels like you're right here talking to me. I am. <laughs> I'm right there. So this is what I like to do every week is to come out more authentically. And we're going to talk about caring for yourself and having Not so much self-compassion and self-love, although that is absolutely number one. Self-compassion, self-love, it's all part of self-care. But I'm not going to dwell on it too much. I talk about that in other episodes. I I want you to consider that a given. Self-compassion and self-love are a given. They have to come first. The overly used analogy of putting the oxygen mask on yourself before anyone else is true. You need to replenish and nourish and support yourself so that you have enough to give to others if you want. This isn't a show that says you must be a charitable person and give to others. I think that's a nice quality. <laughs> I would hope that a lot of people listening have that quality of giving and kindness to others, but I'm not saying that you have to. I want you to have the choice to do that or not. I want you to be able to make the choice to do that or not. I don't want you to automatically fall into the trap of people-pleasing, the trap of rescuing. The trap of trying to fix other people. It's not a trap. I mean, trying to fix other people. It's noble. It's helpful. And a lot of us do it. And a lot of us want to do it. And I think that's part of humanity. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. I'm saying that I want you to have the choice to do that. When you have the choice to do something, there's less stress involved with it. Like one day I was driving and I saw this really old man trying to change attire with, I don't know, three or four young children around him. This guy was pretty old, and he, he had like a dress shirt on, and he was sweating. I passed by, and I said, oh my God, I can't just pass by. I have to stop. You ever get that feeling like I have to help? And so I pulled to the side, backed up, and I didn't say a word. I just put my hand out to take the crowbar from him or the the cross wrench or whatever it was. I just put my hand out to take it. He looked at me. He stepped back. (laughs) I just started changing his tire without any words. And I felt like he was so grateful. And he was. I mean, he said he was so thankful. But without any words, this kind of energy exchange can occur. And there are times when we can show up this way, but I couldn't have done that had I not been self-loving, self-compassionate, self-nurturing, self-supportive, had I not replenished and nurtured myself in a way that gave me the surplus to be able to share it with others. I think that's an important component of self-love, self-compassion, self-help in general. I think that's a vital component. I had the surplus to stop and help someone that needed help. And how difficult is it to do something like that for someone else when you are stressed, when you are tired, when you can't stop thinking of bad things in your life, when you are when you have toxic people in your life that you know you have to be accountable to, And they are going to yell at you for being late or they're going to say something because you did some behavior that they didn't appreciate or you said something they don't like. I mean, there are things in our life that can really be toxic to us. And I like to concentrate on what we need to do to detoxify our life. I I want you to detoxify your life so that you will have the positive energy inside of you, the surplus to be able to help others so that it doesn't feel like you're a people pleaser, you're a rescuer, you're a fixer. There's codependency in those terms. Because if I'm a people pleaser, I am going to stop to help so that you'll like me. And that people-pleasing personality that I used to carry with me all the time and a little bit still in there, and I'm okay with that, (laughs) I used to carry that with me all the time, caused a deficit in me. It had me walking around in the world uh, taking energy away from me because I would continuously please others without saying yes to myself. I would say yes to them, but I wouldn't say yes to myself. And as I slowly started making my way in the world and wanting to say yes to more me time and more of what I needed and started to say no to what was draining to me, there are always going to be people that are draining to you, but these are the ones that just won't go away. Those types of people, there are probably some important decisions that need to be made when you have these, these energy vampires that just suck the energy out from inside of you and you just have nothing left to give because that's where giving comes from, in my opinion. Giving comes from the surplus of self compassion and self love and self nurturing and self support, you know, that we do. When we do that, when we are loving toward ourselves, compassionate toward ourselves, then we have more energy to give to others again if we want to. And when you have that choice. You feel more balanced. You feel more at peace. And a lot of people aren't at peace. A lot of people aren't at peace because of some of the things I'm going to talk about today. I want you to be more at peace. You're never going to be fully peaceful. You're never going to reach that place. Well, let me rephrase that. I don't believe that you can reach full peace all the time because, as the Buddhists say, life is touched by suffering. So, you have to know that there will be suffering, which means you can't be peaceful all the time. That doesn't sound great, but I tell you what, when you are balanced, then when the suffering comes, you bounce back. And that bounce back, that that resiliency that, that you can carry with you, carries you into every situation as a stronger person, as a happier person, as a more fulfilled person. I think we all want to be fulfilled or at least satisfied. Some of us just don't want to be in pain or in fear. And to get out of those painful, fearful places puts us in a less stressed, more balanced, more peaceful place. I'm not saying we all want peace. I'm not making that decision for you. I'm just thinking about what the majority of people seem to gravitate toward. I just wanna be happy. I mean how many times have we heard that? I just want to be happy or said that ourselves. Uh I just want peace in my life. When things are hectic, yeah. It'd be nice to have some peace. And if I can get it in five minutes in the bathroom, I'm gonna take it. <laughs> if I'm gonna get it if that's the only place I can be alone to get that five minutes of peace, I'm gonna take it. And some of us are stressed there too. But anyway, this episode is about self care. Self love and self compassion are a given i want you to kind of wear that in your brain like burn it into your brain self-care and self-love are a given what that means to me is that there's no other way to be you have to perform self-love and self-care you have to otherwise you start dying you start becoming sick you become ill I don't just mean physically, but it often leads to that as well. Your system just starts becoming toxic. When you don't allow self-love and self-compassion to be a given in your life, you just become toxic. Because if you're not being self-loving and you're not being self-compassionate, then you are probably allowing toxins in your life. And it doesn't always mean a toxic person could be a toxic environment. It could be a toxic job. It could even be a toxic movie. I walked out of the movie, what was it, Crash? <laughs> I forget the movie. But it was a movie about a guy who had to stay drugged up so he would stay alive. And the first few minutes were just, they felt toxic to me. I'm not putting the movie down. Some people loved it. It just wasn't my type of movie. The entire 10 minutes at the beginning was an adrenaline rush. And one of the first things he did was not very suitable for a general audience. (laughs) So I can't even explain it. But I I had to stop. I walked out of the theater and uh, we both walked out. We were both like, we can't watch this. It feels toxic. And so I have learned to walk away from things, even things that I've paid for, because I felt it not nourishing for my soul. I think that's an important part of self-care. This isn't nourishing for my soul. I wish I had done that in uh, some of the musicals I've seen. <laughs> not the biggest fan of some musicals. But um, I did walk out of that movie, and um, we did get our money back. We said, we don't like the movie, and they gave us our money back. So there's a little um, gift for you. If you walk out of a movie, you probably can ask for your money back. At least we could, and they probably will give it to you. And that was good that was self-nourishing. We asked for our money back because we did not want to invest in that type of movie. So anyway, that's what I mean. It all comes down to what you bring into your life, what you keep in your life, and what you continue to do for yourself. If you're not taking care of yourself, you will have trouble finding surplus energy to take care of others if you so choose to. And I know sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you have kids. Sometimes you have someone that you absolutely need to take care of. There's no way out of it. And then you feel obligated. So you need surplus there for sure. Of all situations that you could be in, you need surplus. So how do you get surplus? We're going to talk about that next. Thanks for joining me. We'll be right back. This is the take care of yourself episode. I'll fill you in with some more right after this. So this episode is inspired by a few emails that I've received. One in particular is really, really long, so I'm not going to read it on the air. But um, in a sense, I got the entire story. And at the end of the email, uh, she said, I feel like I need to love myself, maybe so I don't feel dependent on this guy that she was seeing for her happiness. She also says, I also think I'm a little messed up in the head for my entire life. And I don't want to throw away a decent guy, but I want to be ridiculously in love, but I don't feel happy. So if you've heard me talk about being in a relationship, I believe that you should not invest your energy trying to get happiness from someone else. When you try to get love and happiness and use the you complete me protocol or model of a relationship, I believe you develop these unhealthy dependencies uh, that will disappoint you more often than will make you happy because life happens, uh, trouble happens, challenges happen, arguments happen, breakups happen, divorce happens. So when our source of happiness and love and nurturing and support goes away, what do we have left? If we haven't fulfilled ourselves and keep ourselves in as much surplus as possible, then we aren't so dependent and we don't fall so hard that we can't get back up. I mean, that's how obsessions start. When we are so much in love with someone else or we're just so infatuated with someone else and then they leave our life. They don't want anything to do with us or they die. They, I mean, they just disappear. Death's a different Topic And there's different pain involved there. There's different ways to really uh, process that. But um, as for breaking up or divorce, separation, uh, when that happens and we have so much tied into the other person, uh, we tend to lose a bit of ourselves. We lose a bit of our identity. And depending on how much we identified with us, with you and I, with we, that is what we lose. So if 90% of you is us, that's why it hurts so bad. That's why we get so obsessed that we just want them back in our life because we feel so incomplete. We feel so lost without this other person. And this not easy to learn. I'm I'm not saying this is an easy thing. It took me 40 years to learn this. It took me a long time to get into a space where after, you know, I got married 30 something, 30, I don't remember. And um, I got divorced four years later, and those feelings came up. I, I had the feeling of, oh no, I am now lost without this person. I am devastated. Who am I anymore without this person? Where's my happiness? Where's the feeling of being loved? And when that goes away, what's left? I want to help you fill in what's left. So let's get to that. I want to help you fill in when someone goes away, when someone disappears, uh, when someone doesn't want you anymore. Then you need to have something left over so that they don't complete you. It's nice to have someone else in addition to you. I like to think of it that way. I like to have someone in my life in addition to me. That way, if they leave, then I can look at my life and go, well, you know, I'm okay anyway. I will miss that person. It it will be a heartbreak. I will cry. I will grieve. It's the death of a relationship. I will definitely grieve. And I will feel everything under the sun, self-pity, self-loathing, I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have done something better. I shouldn't have made that mistake. I shouldn't have said that to her before she left. I'm going to have all these regrets, but I'm going to be okay. I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to be resilient because I have surplus, because I have built this emotional foundation inside of me that doesn't keep me locked into someone else to be happy. When my marriage ended, When the divorce papers came in, it was devastating. I mean, that was the definitive moment for me that I screwed up. I'm a failure. And that was my last chance. These are all the thoughts that come in our head. I will never meet anyone like that again. All these thoughts are very real. I hear about this all the time from people that write to me saying, I lost the one. I lost the perfect person. I will never have that opportunity again. My life is all uphill and hard from here. And I'm I'm here to tell you that you should not adopt that belief system because you will be self-sabotaging your path to happiness from that point on. Because what you end up doing is comparing everyone you meet with that person. Oh, that person uh, supported me in my hobbies and this other person doesn't even like the hobbies I like. So this is going to be a failure. We suddenly start putting these huge judgments on the people we meet before we even get to know them, before they even get to know us. You have no idea. I started liking things that my girlfriend liked and I didn't like them before. I didn't support some of her hobbies, some of her values. I didn't support them all. I wasn't against them, but I just, I had no interest in them. And to meet someone and have your own Values your own beliefs, your own perceptions. That's how life works. We meet someone, and someone's opposite of us. I, I thought she was opposite of me in many things, like she would talk about crazy things, <laughs> and I would be like, "That's crazy," <laughs> and then we would talk some more, and I would find out more of why she talked about these crazy things. I mean, she would tell me these things, and I would tell my mom she's crazy. I don't think I'll have anything to do with her. Yet we fell in love and I have learned where her beliefs come from, how her values are founded, where they're founded. And I learned a lot about her. And when you learn about someone, you get to understand them more and you feel better about them sometimes. (laughs) Not always, but uh, sometimes you do feel a lot better about what you thought might have been crazy before. So I like to give People a chance when I meet someone. In fact, I think it's even better to meet someone that has a lot of the opposite values that you do to open your mind, to expand yourself. I saw meeting her as an expansion of my soul, expansion of my spirituality, expansion of my inner being, of how to describe it, maybe the box that I'd been living in. So it opened me up and it opened my mind. It it gave me more. Choices in life because my choices before were limited to the belief system that I had created, and she opened that. So, there's a lot of things that can happen when you meet someone that isn't the one that you lost before. There's a lot of opportunity in other people, in different people, in different lifestyles, and different values. There's a lot of opportunity, and I don't want you to lose that. So If you have any type of thought that you'll never find that one again, be grateful. You know, I've heard from people that have had the one in their life, and they tell me, you know, they were so perfect, and I shouldn't have said this, and I shouldn't have done that. And I'm here to tell you, if they were the one... They would have worked with you. They would have been resilient enough to work through the challenges in the relationship with you. They would have been the one to stand up and say, hey, I'm not going to take that kind of behavior if you're you know, being unreasonable or something, because I want this relationship to work. And if, in order for it to work, we got to figure this out and see where we can go with it instead of getting into these arguments. We, we need to understand each other more. We need to work on this, invest in the relationship. The one will help you invest in the relationship. The one will work on it until you're both exhausted from trying to make it work. That's how I define the one. The one is the one that wants to make it work with you, even if you're a pain in the butt. <laughs> they are the one that wants to make it work because there's more to it underneath what's going on on the surface. There's more to the relationship. It's deeper than what what has been defined. It's deeper than the arguments. It's deeper than the tension. It's deeper enough where you can both look at it and go, yes, there's something deeper in here that I want to save. But when, quote, the one doesn't want a part of this anymore, then they aren't the one because they don't see the depth. They don't connect with you at that deeper level. So that's kind of an aside. I just wanted to throw that in there. If you had any type of thought that you lost the one and only person that will ever make you happy. I don't want that to be that thought that lingers in the background. There's a million the ones out there. And sometimes it is hard to find a good the one. But how do you find the one if you want? This is a choice again. How do you find the one if you want? My belief is that you make yourself the one. You make yourself so wonderful inside you self-nurture, self-love, be self-compassionate, you make yourself the person you want to be with because that is desirable by someone else. That is where you go if you want the best relationship possible. It may take you years. It may. And that sounds miserable to some people, but I've already been waiting years. But have you been nurturing yourself and supporting yourself and doing what you love in your life and doing what makes you happy in your life or was it always or many times a desperate search for someone else because when we put all this energy into a desperate search for someone else then we take the time and energy away from doing that inside of us investing in ourselves so that we can bring the best version of ourselves into a relationship. If you even want to go that way, because some people don't. My mom said, you know, I was married for 40 plus years to an abusive alcoholic. I'm pretty much done with relationships and more power to her. (laughs) If that's the direction she wants to go, I get it. I get it. And now she is by herself. And there is a peace in that. She struggles in other ways, but uh, there's a peace in having the choice to do that. So let's get started. I'm going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and I'm going to read you these, um, how many do I have? About eight things to help yourself build that emotional surplus, that self-compassion and self-love so that you have so much that you don't have these strong dependencies on others. Those people, the the other people that you invite into your life become additional components of your life. They become I don't know, add-ons. I'm, I'm really simplifying it, making it sound so unromantic. But when you can look at other people, not as somebody you depend on for love, but that you see as a bonus to what you already have inside of you, that changes the game. It changes how you feel about yourself, about other people. And it also keeps you, and this is important, keeps you in a place of being able to honor yourself when the time comes. And what I mean by that is if my girlfriend really disrespects me, I can say, look, I don't appreciate being disrespected. I'm not going to stand for that. And I can say that knowing that she may not like it and she may not want to change. And she also may leave me. I don't think it'll ever happen, but When you feel this inside that you can stand up for yourself and not have such a dependency on them not leaving you and them not yelling at you, if you have this fear that someone's going to leave you or yell at you, you're less likely to say what's on your mind. You're less likely to honor yourself. Being in that space gives you less and less of what you want in life and makes you more dependent on a relationship. And when you're so dependent on a relationship, you sometimes end up compromising your happiness. We'll be right back and I'll give you eight ways that I believe you can be self-supportive, self-loving, self-compassionate, self-caring in every way. This is the real self-help episode, taking care of yourself. Be right back. All right, welcome back. This is going to be eight ways to be self-nurturing, self-loving, self-compassionate, so that you can build that emotional surplus inside of you. Let's get right to it. Number one, I want you to ask yourself, what would you do if you had no one to answer to? This is the idea of self-nurturing. And let me read that to you again, So, because I, I really want you to think about this. What would you do in your life if you had no one to answer to? When you think of all these things that come up, you might have some ideas in your head that aren't very conducive to the relationship you're in maybe not but i know some people out there are thinking well i would do this but i can't do that because i have a spouse or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or i have kids but what would you do if you had no one to answer to and when you think about that that gives you an idea of how you could nurture yourself for example when my divorce was final Uh, One of the things I did was go on online dating sites thinking that I needed someone else to fulfill my life. I needed someone else to complete me. After all, that's all I've done. That's all that's ever brought me happiness. At least that's all I thought would ever bring me happiness. And after about a month, I think it was a month, I banged myself on the head. (laughs) Not literally, but I was like, what am I doing? I just got out of a marriage. I just got out of a relationship. And I'm going immediately into another one? Is this my cycle? Is this my pattern? I realized what I was doing. It was for the first time in my life. I was like 40, 41. I was going into another relationship without ever knowing who I was. And for that first time ever, I said, you know what? I'm going to do something different this time. I'm going to choose to be single. And I felt this shift in me. Because I'd never made that choice. And when I made that choice, I realized, wow, now that I'm choosing to be single, there are different options available to me. There are so many different options. I have no one to answer to. I can do anything I want. I was thinking, you know, I don't have to wash my hair every day. Not that I don't. (laughs) Kind of a stickler about that. But I'm thinking I don't have to be attractive. I can wear any clothes I want. I can act any way I want in front of anyone. I wouldn't be rude. I would just be more myself, be more authentic because I wouldn't be worried about impressing anyone. And that was the first time I ever felt that way. It was weird. It was weird to think that I could walk into a grocery store and see an attractive person and not try to impress them, not try to get my cart close to them. Uh, and hope that they see me and find me attractive and talk to me, which never happens. And uh, (laughs) I think people in grocery stores just want to be left alone. And uh, I, I can just do anything I want and just be myself without having to worry about picking someone up, without putting that desperation out there. It's a whole different feeling. I don't know if you've ever tried this. It's a whole different feeling. Not needing anyone else in my life changed how I showed up in life. And when I changed in that way, I suddenly became more attractive. I'm not saying I found myself attractive. I'm saying when I met my girlfriend, she found it so attractive that I was so damn honest. She said, wow, I've never met someone who isn't out to try to win me over. And I thought, that's interesting. I've always been that person. And here I am thinking that's how you're supposed to do it. And I learned a lot. So that's step one towards self-fulfilling, self-nurturing is um, asking yourself the question, what would I do if I had to answer to no one? All right. Uh, number two is ask yourself, how long do I want to live? So this is going in a, a health direction. How long do I want to live? And how happy do I want to be during that length of time? Now, the reason I asked that question is because if you're doing things, if you have habits, if you have bad habits, if you have vices that are degrading your health in any way, if you smoke cigarettes, I'm just going to say it, I'm not judging, I'm just saying it, you smoke cigarettes, if you drink alcohol, if you eat processed foods, if you live in a city with a lot of air pollution, if you sit down all day like I do and never move from your desk, I'm included in this mix here too, uh, if you eat chips all day if you drink soda i mean i could go on and on and on and again i'm not trying to judge you if you do any of this i've done them all (laughs) i've done all of these and i still do a couple of these and the reason i mention all of those is because we're told oh you know when you're shopping in the supermarket shop on the outer aisles where the vegetables are and the dairy and you you shop on those outer aisles you stay out of the inner aisles but i shop in the inner aisles, aisles too hey i need spices i also need um pasta and I also need other things. But I'm making these choices knowing there's a detriment to my health. And so when I ask myself the question, how long do I want to live? I think, hey, I want to live to 120. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to happen. I probably won't. But if I think that, am I congruent in my behavior that would take me to that age in a healthy way? Am I congruent? And when I think about exactly what I'm doing in my life, are my behaviors elongating my life? And the other question, how happy do I want to be during that length of time, has a direct correlation by what I put in my body, by what I do with my body. How about the people I hang around with most? For example, uh, this is why I'm creating an accountability group. I don't know if you've heard me talk about it. It's called TOB Elite. And in January, I want to start this accountability group with six people, six of you, that really want to get their life together and move forward in a new direction. It's a great time to do it in the new year. Uh, It's still available. If you want to check it out, go to theoverwhelmedbrain.com forward slash elite. And it's not for everyone, but if it's for you, if it's something you want to do, check it out. But an accountability group will help you create better habits. It will help you get on the track that you want to be on if you want to live a longer, happier life. At least that's worked for me. When I have an accountability partner or partners, it definitely keeps me on track because I don't know if I'm self-disciplined enough to follow a regimen enough that I will answer to myself. It's hard to answer to yourself sometimes, especially when you're in your own stuff. So accountability groups are good for that. And you have to consider um, what your health is like, your physical and mental health is like today. For example, I was diagnosed with pre-diabetes and I didn't even know that was possible because I thought it was for obese people I just had this judgment this thought that I would never get it because I'm a skinny guy well it turns out if you get a lot of sugar it can happen and apparently I think 80% of Americans don't even know they have pre-diabetes I don't know the rest of the world's statistics but I just found this out and I'm thinking wow I was how long have I been living with this I used to drink a lot of soda when I was younger. And then I drank a lot of tea with a lot of sugar in it. And I finally cut down on the sugar. And I, think, I thought I was doing great until like last year or the year before. Uh, the doctor said I had pre-diabetes. And I'm thinking, what? I, th- I thought I was eating well. And so now I've made some really drastic dietary changes because I want to live longer. And sometimes this happens. There are things that we have to do to accommodate what we want. If you want a happier life and you have some condition that gets worse by some behavior that you do, you're probably not going to be happier. So number two is all about asking yourself, how long do you want to live and how happy do you want to be during that length of time? And when you consider that, what are you doing to contribute to that length of time and that happiness? If you're a guy like me that sits at a desk all day, not that I'm complaining, I actually enjoy it, but I don't get up enough. I've learned to get on the treadmill now once every day or every other day. I'm trying to move more because in the pre-diabetic state, exercise can actually help reverse it. So I want to live longer and happier. So I'm going to start doing these things even though I don't like it. (laughs) I don't necessarily like walking on a treadmill, but I'm going to do it anyway. Let's go to number three. Number three is if you've moved out of your parents' house, if you're at that age and you're at that in that space where you've moved out of your parents' house, what I'm going to ask you to do is stop living your life according to their perceptions and rules. Our parents, they grew up in a different era with different values and even different technology. We weren't all connected as we are now, and that changes social dynamics. I mean, I've gotten letters from people who couldn't make decisions on their own they couldn't make the decision to marry someone they loved because of religion or tradition or their parents scowling or they're going to disown them they couldn't marry who they wanted that's a challenge if you're still living under your parents roof and you're not physically under your parents roof it's time to consider moving beyond that and um you know sometimes tradition can really keep us in a place that doesn't move forward. For example, you know, it's tradition, I'm going to try to avoid religion here, but it's kind of the same thing, religion, tradition, it's tradition that you're supposed to marry this certain person. I've heard this story, someone will write to me and say, you know, I have these beliefs and my mom and dad have these beliefs and they said that I cannot marry this person because this person is not of that belief. And so tradition does two things. it, uh, One, it keeps everyone comfortable and certain. And being in that space makes you feel better. And two, it removes the ability to do something different that might make you happier. I mean, if you continue a tradition that makes you miserable, then perhaps it's time to, I'm going to say it, question tradition. Now, I know this is a very thin ice I'm on. Because my whole family is of that tradition. My whole family has these religious beliefs. If I do that, then my whole family will hate me. I know this is thin eyes, but I want you to be happy. I want you to be fulfilled. I want you to wake up in the morning with a smile, knowing that you're choosing a life for you. And I say this with trepidation because I also don't want you to think that I'm talking you out of any religious beliefs, out of any traditional beliefs, I'm not saying that you should change that. I'm just saying that you should consider what makes you happy and what fulfills you. And I know there are losses that if you do change tradition, I know you will probably lose people in your life and it's going to hurt. It's not going to feel very good at all. And if tradition is tied to family and you lose some family, is it going to hurt so much that you can't go on without them, which means you'll go back to that traditional, you may go back to that traditional way, or is it going to free you to explore something else? So I'm not going to dwell on this topic too much. This is a very personal choice, and I support either way you go, but I still want you to consider what fulfills you, in which direction you have been going that maybe hasn't been fulfilling. So like I said, tradition keeps everyone comfortable and certain. Makes me feel good when something is certain, but it also removes the ability to do something different that might make me happier. That might make you happier. I will say this: uh, we did change one of our traditions this year, and it was very difficult. We always have a couple friends over for Thanksgiving, so Thanksgiving. You know, it's um, it's November 18th today, Sunday, November 18th, and Thanksgiving is just in a few days. And we always have a couple friends over. And we've decided not to invite these couple friends over anymore. And it's been tradition. And I know, I mean, we already have one friend saying, what? No, you're not going to invite me over? And uh, it was difficult because it's been our tradition. And we do all the cooking. (laughs) We give away all the leftovers. And we decided we're just going to do us this year. Just us. And it was a very hard decision. But when I think about just us on Thanksgiving, we're going to get a Christmas tree. We're going to make hot cocoa. We're going to have Christmas music while we decorate the Christmas tree. Suddenly, I'm seeing something that makes me much happier, something that makes us not deal with some of the drama that can come from some people in your life. I'm not saying it was always dramatic, but I'm just saying uh, sometimes when you have a mix of people in the same room, drama can occur. So we made a decision to break tradition and suddenly a weight has lifted and we never thought about breaking tradition before but this weight has lifted and now we feel like we can be more of ourselves in our own space and we can enjoy time together that is usually spent with other people and sometimes the drama kicks in and it's not as fun as we thought it was going to be. (laughs) not always. If you're listening, if you've come over our house, it's not you. (laughs) So just take that with you. (laughs) All right, let me go to number four. Number four is remember the compound effect of every tiny step forward you make. I think way too many people procrastinate and do nothing instead of doing one single thing. A story I have behind that is uh, the mean workbook. You know, if you go to loveandabuse.com, I created the mean workbook for people going through emotionally abusive relationships, and it took me over a year to create that. It was a big undertaking. It was big because there were so many variables in emotional abuse that I had to explore, that I had to learn about, that I had to talk to people about, talk to my clients, talk to other people, talk to professionals. It took me a long time to create that. So the massive undertaking was something I procrastinated on. I was thinking, how am I going to make this assessment, 200-point assessment that really narrows down what people are going through in their relationship? It was just, it was a huge task. But what I decided to do, instead of putting a deadline on it at first, I mean, this comes later, but at first I decided I'm just going to take a step forward in the direction of creating this workbook. Every time I have an opportunity to. And I had to make opportunities, but I took one step forward. That might have meant I wrote one paragraph on one page. That's what I did. And like I said, day after day, month after month, I would add more, add more, add more. And suddenly things started coming together. And things started really fitting well in how I was creating it. And I, I learned more along the way and learned what else I wanted to change. And as the time came for when I really wanted to get serious about it and release it, then I created a deadline. Love the idea of deadlines, because a deadline is going to force you to do things that you probably wouldn't have done, that you probably could have chosen to procrastinate on, uh, that you probably could have went to bed an hour earlier, It's like that accountability group thing. When you feel accountable to something or someone, you're going to do everything you can to pull through, typically. You're probably going to do everything you possibly can. You're going to exhaust yourself trying to pull through. It sounds like no fun, but what it does is help you accomplish things. So number four is remember the compound effect of tiny steps. So even if you know you have this overwhelming pile of paperwork in front of you, pick up the first piece of paper and do something with it. Do it today. Do it now. Do something in that direction. And then an hour later or a week later, do it again. And as you do that, these tiny little steps feel like accomplishments that get you closer and closer. And um, I like what Jeff Olson said. He wrote The Slight Edge, which is all about the compound effect. He said that everyone can read an entire book a month. And he explains it by saying, because you can read 10 pages a day. We think that we're going to read this thick book. And some of us see this thick book and we go, this is no way I'm going to get through this. I just don't have time to read this. But he said, everyone has time to read 10 pages a day. I thought that's a really good analogy. I'm going to remember that and use it in my life. I also like the uh, focus concept. I forget who said it. Uh, It's a follow one course until success. It might have been Robert Kiyosaki, the financial guy. He says, follow one course until success. I tell you what, I use that with almost everything now. And that's going to be like our mantra in um, the accountability group. But when you do that, you exclude things that you'd normally say yes to. And I tested this because I had so many good offers for my time, for money, that when I was writing my first ebook, I decided to follow the focus model follow one course until success until that ebook was done. And I got that ebook done. (laughs) I said no to many things that came along. I just wanted to get that done. I wanted to accomplish it. It never would have happened otherwise because I had too many things coming at me that I wanted to say yes to. And we do that. We say yes to something, quote, better that comes along. But I've learned that when I follow the one course, I create bigger accomplishments. I have a more solid foundation. I have more stepping stones to step off from instead of just... Uh, having another unfinished project. So I really like that. Five, six, seven, eight. All right, I'm going to take another quick break because I have four more to go and I want to kind of separate this out a little bit because I know I'm running out of time here. So be right back after this. All right, the number five way of building that emotional surplus in you, being self-nurturing and self-compassionate, is to learn more about whatever overwhelms you or puts you into fear mode. And what I mean by that is most fear and overwhelm comes from a lack of knowledge and understanding. I mean, there are way too many podcasts and videos for anyone to have an excuse nowadays to not be able to learn about something. And I know so many of us are limited on time, but this is where the compound effect comes in. Small steps, one step at a time. A 300-page book can be read in a month if you read 10 pages a day. So the idea behind this uh, number five is make a list of what you fear in your day-to-day life. For example, my mom is so afraid of what happens when she ventures into new areas of the computer. (laughs) If I tell her to open up File Explorer in Windows, where you see all your folders and files, her brain melts. And so she sees all of these files and folders. She has no idea where she is. And all she is looking for is that big X at the top right. And when she closes it, she feels so much better. But if she watched a video on how to use File Explorer, she might actually be less frightened, less overwhelmed. I know she would be because everything I've taught her on the computer myself uh... she feels more comfortable with you know i i taught her how to use control c she has a windows computer and control c copies the text for her to be able to learn how to highlight and copy text was a huge undertaking for her she didn't grow up with technology she had uh, technology scares her but she owns a computer and she was determined to learn it and she learned what she needed to use and never ventured beyond that she didn't want to know It w- it was scary to her but every time I teach her something new, she gets more and more comfortable with it and she has less stress in her life. This is why I think it's so important to learn more about whatever overwhelms you or puts you into fear because most of it comes from a lack of knowledge and understanding. And you know, the bonus of that is what you learn leads to more learning. But if you take no steps in the direction of learning, you have no progress and you have continuous fear and overwhelm another quick story about this, sorry, I'm full of stories today, is when I used to fear spiders. I know a lot of us fear spiders. I used to fear them a lot. I did not want to be near them. I would kill them. And I had one giant one on me. One day I got in my truck. I went through a web. I knew I went through a web, but I didn't know there was a spider attached to it. I got in my truck and the biggest, hairiest brownest spider came crawling down my chest and i flipped out i flipped out luckily i hadn't started driving yet i brushed my chest i screamed and i don't mean to sound judgmental when i say this i screamed like a girl <laughs> and uh i jumped out of my truck and i was sweating i was just breathing hard and i could not believe what just. i felt like i was being attacked by a monster it was a tiny little spider. I mean, it was a big spider. It was actually a big spider. But compared to me, it was a tiny little spider. And I finally got him out of my truck. I got back in my truck and I just sat there probably for five minutes wondering what the heck just happened because I was questioning my, my behavior, my reaction. And it took me a while to really think about what just occurred, why I reacted so strongly. And I went through all these thoughts like, The spider didn't seem to be wanting to attack me. didn't seem to be wanting to hurt me. It just seemed scared and wanted to get away from me. And the only way out was to get off of me. And the only way to do that is to crawl down off of me. And so I had all these thoughts that, well, the spider was just trying to get away from me. That made me feel a little better. I still didn't like it but I decided to read up on spiders because I wanted to find out if this one was poisonous. What does it mean? And the more and more I learned about spiders, the more I realized that a lot of them are harmless and not so poisonous. Um, there are some out there that you don't want to get bit by, but most of them you get bit and then you move on. But a lot of them are only biting you because they don't want to be on you. They don't want to be near you. They're trying to get you away from them. And now when I look at spiders, I'll look at their web, and I realize, man, they're just hanging out. (laughs) They just want to be left alone. And if a fly comes their way, then they're happy. Just leave me alone. I'm going to build my little house here. I'm not bothering you. And I look at that now, and I think, they're probably one of the most peaceful insects or bugs. I think they're arachnids, not insects, as opposed to a mosquito. (laughs) I like spiders now. And I don't kill them. I I, I don't think I kill any bugs, maybe a couple. And uh, I try to save them and I bring them outside. I have a whole new respect for them and I have no fear about them anymore. I might have a little fear if they suddenly appear in front of me. But then it goes away because I realize, okay, he's not chasing me. (laughs) He just wants to live his life just like I do. So that's what I mean about um, learning more about what you fear so that it doesn't stay a mystery in your life. And it's a mystery, you make up all kinds of stuff. But when that mystery goes away, ah, now I know the truth. Now I know the facts. That's very helpful. Number six in self-nurturing and developing that emotional surplus is creating a ritual that is pleasing to you. For example, I wake up every morning and make a breakfast that I enjoy. And I know some people don't have time for that, but I've learned to make time to make myself breakfast. I take the time. I make my decaf tea. I make my breakfast, and I enjoy eating it before I start my day. It's a ritual for me. I also have a nighttime ritual that I stop working an hour before I sleep. Yes, I work most of the day, and sometimes I stop earlier. But I've learned that if I work right up to the time it's time to go to sleep, I can't sleep. So I created a ritual as a buffer between my work time and my wind-down time. I had to create these rituals to build some semblance of balance in my life. So for you, what kind of ritual can you create that um, you can look forward to? I look forward to my nighttime. I look forward to my morning time. We don't always have the time to do these things. Sometimes it could be a 30-second ritual where you go outside, close your eyes for 30 seconds, and just listen. Or like my friend Matthew who lays down with these two speakers facing both ears and listens to music. And he says it takes him away. It's got to be like some sort of trance beat or something. He said it takes him away. And he has all these visualizations. And it's very meditative for him. And he goes, you know, I stopped doing that for a while. We were just talking the other day. And I started doing it again. And I realized how much I missed it. Ritual can be very meditative, uh, bring some peace and balance in your life. So I believe in it. I believe in developing a ritual that is pleasing to you. Don't do somebody else's ritual that may not be as pleasing, unless it is. (laughs) But that can be a way to be very self-nurturing. Number seven, write down everything you stress about and apply it to the following question. So for example, if you're stressed about money, you would apply it to this question. If my legs were on fire, would I be stressed about money? this isn't where it ends. I mean, there's more to this, but uh, let's just say that you're stressed about uh, your relationship. If my legs were on fire, would I be stressed about this relationship? Probably not. (laughs) Probably the priority is uh, putting your legs out. (laughs) Let's just say you're in a financial crisis and you're about to lose your home. If your legs were on fire right now, would you be stressed about losing your home? And then ask yourself, why not? Why wouldn't you be stressed about losing your home? The answer is probably going to be pretty obvious. Okay, so you process that and you go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I put my legs out. Now I'm still in that same old place of I'm afraid that I'll lose my home. So the stress is back. That's what's going to happen. So in the moment, you take yourself out of the stress because, oh, I mean, fire is a stress in itself, but we're kind of pretending here. It actually removes you from the original stress and puts you in a different type of stress. Oh my God, my legs are on fire. I'm going to put these out. But notice how you can with your mind. Take your mind off of the stress and put it on something else. I know it's another stress, but notice it can be done. So that's just an observation. But then we come to the place of, okay, I put my legs out. They're not on fire anymore. I'm back to normal. And now I'm at the point of, yeah, I feel grateful that I'm not on fire anymore. uh, But now I'm back on my original kick of stress or fear. So, this is part two. And part two is from a TED talk I watched from uh, Tim Ferriss. In his talk, he says to define your fears instead of defining your goals. And he talks about how instead of focusing on what you want to accomplish, go ahead and think about your fears coming true. And what he does is he writes these three columns on a piece of paper define, prevent, repair. So let's just talk about the house example. I'm going to lose my house. What if I lose my house? Let's define that. Well, I'll feel dread, and it'll mean I'll need to stay at a friend's house or a hotel. If I can even afford that, I'll get a bad mark on my credit. So we're going to have a lot of ways we define uh, what it means to lose our house. So now we go to the Prevent column. In the Prevent column, we could say, well, to prevent this, I could get uh, a part time job. I could ask my uncle for money. I could work with the bank and maybe they can help me through this while I figure something else out. I could refinance. I could, you know, you have all these I coulds for the prevent column. You may not be able to come up with many, but let's just say to prevent this, what could I do? So you come up with everything that you could do. And you might have to come up with some, maybe some zany ideas. Just write these down, see what happens. Then you have the repair column. This is when the worst case scenario does happen. Now you write down in the repair column, "Okay, it happened. I lost my house. What are my next steps? So now we're pushing ourselves into this very uncomfortable place and it gets us past the threshold of fear. Like, oh, everything I fear has come true. Now I have to take the next step. Now I'm in the moment. I have to take the next step. What can I do this time? Oh, well, I guess I could move back home. I guess I could do this. I, I might be able to do it this way. I might be able to sell my expensive car so I can get rid of that payment. I might have to stay with my family now. Uh, in fact, I could probably call my sister. She has an extra room or a guest house or whatever. The prevent column helps you figure out what you'll do when it all goes wrong. It may not go wrong, but at least you have an opportunity to think about what you would do if it does go wrong. So I've given an extreme example, because you can do this with almost anything in your life. But what it does is helps you define the problem in a way that uh, causes you to think about it from different angles, uh, from preventing it to repairing it. And that can be very helpful, because what you'll end up doing is you'll get to the point of everything that you fear, you're addressing those fears, in the uh, repair column so there's more to this talk I highly recommend you check it out it's called define your fears instead of your goals by uh, Tim Ferris he also talks about the cost of inaction which I've talked about before too it's it's what will my life be like if I don't do what I'm thinking about it, what will it be like in six months uh, what will it be like in one year what will, will it be like in three years what is the cost of doing nothing and just keeping the status quo, he addresses that too great talk. Check it out now let's get to number eight. Number eight is one of my favorites. Don't be afraid to be you. I talked about this in the last episode on vulnerability. I addressed it in this episode already, and um what I mean by that is you step into more of your authentic self and um you know, Matthew and I you may or may not know. Uh, Matthew Bivens, he does another podcast and we are creating a new show together where we show up more authentically, as authentically as we can. I mean, to the point where we want to be ourselves and try not to hide behind any type of persona that we put out there because he has the podcast having it all and um, he puts himself out there every week. I put myself out there every week on this show, but when we come together and we really Kind of force each other to face our true, authentic nature, our true, authentic thoughts, and we pull that out of each other. It makes us feel more connected to ourselves. So we've been meeting for months now, recording episodes. It's not out yet. I'll I'll like tell you when it's out. But we've been meeting for months, recording episodes where we get to connect with ourselves and each other because we're being so authentic. Uh, one example I gave in when Matthew and I were talking was. I skateboarded until I was in my 30s, and uh, I felt embarrassed by that. I didn't want to tell anyone I skateboarded into my 30s, mainly because I heard someone on the radio uh, make fun of people that took a, quote, kid's toy and used it in their adult life. And they said, oh, this guy's in his 30s. Not talking about me, but talking about somebody else. He goes, this guy's in his 30s and is still skateboarding. And both of the radio hosts laughed. And then I felt even more embarrassed to talk about that or admit to any other adult in my life that I still skateboarded. I loved skateboarding. I just got hurt on it a lot, so I had to stop. But in my 30s, I enjoyed it. It was something I really enjoyed doing, but I didn't tell anyone. And so I was a very much loner skateboarder. I never went to skate parks, and all my friends were very young because I didn't even want to find adult skateboarders. I was just so isolated in my thought process, and this is what I mean is that now I don't want to hide that part of me. I don't want to hide something that I do in my life because when I do, I repress who I am. This is why I say don't be afraid to be you. When I can be comfortable talking about almost anything that I've done in my life or that I still do in my life, then I am allowed to be more me. I want you to allow yourself to be more you because a lot of us put out this false front. We put out this Facebook profile that makes us look a lot better than we are, some of us. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to hide myself from the world because that doesn't make me happy. When you put yourself out there and you go what might be considered against the norm, for example, um, if you're in a group of highly successful people and you live in an apartment and drive a 1999 Toyota, you may not want to admit this stuff. It feels like, oh, they might look down on me. They might judge me. But boy, when you own it, oh yeah, living in an apartment, <laughs> drive a 99 Toyota, then you have nothing to hide. You are putting yourself out there. You're being it's a vulnerable place, but it's also an honest place and what it does is it lifts any repression that you're put on yourself. And when you do that, you feel more free. Because it takes a lot of energy to hide what you don't want other people to see. This part, don't be afraid to be you, is not easy. It's still something that I think about. It's still something I'm working on. Because I still believe that there are other people out there that might judge me for it. So it's not something that I think too much about. But I am learning more and more. And thankfully I'm doing this other podcast with Matthew. I'm learning more and more about myself that... The more free I am to speak freely of myself, the more free I feel, the happier I feel. So there's the list. There's one through eight on how to be self-nurturing, self-compassionate, and it's something that you can do. You can start today. You can really start to ramp up your life and fulfill yourself so that you bring the best version of you into the world. Not that the world needs the best version of you. You need the best version of you. The world just benefits from you doing it because now they want to be near you. They want to be around you if you want that because you learn to invite the right people in and keep the wrong people out. You learn to do that because you are self-nurturing. You are self-honoring and you value yourself and your time and who you spend time with to the point where you are feeling the most happy and the most fulfilled. It's not easy. It's a continuous Work on yourself. Take care of yourself. I want you to do that. When we come back, I'm going to say some thank yous and then we'll end the show pretty quick because we're way past the time I wanted to stop. (laughs) Be right back after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of the overwhelmed brain. I spent a lot of time trying to convey how important it is to fulfill yourself, to be self nurturing, to be self compassionate, to be self loving. You know, when I heard that term, you got to love yourself first. I think of flowers and balloons and <laughs> cards. And I think of kind of a Valentine's day love of yourself. And, um, uh, I think that's probably a false perception. I think there's some benefits to that for sure. It might be a little vain, but I think that you should probably look at it in a way of how can I honor myself to the point where I value who I am through and through. And that might mean you look in a mirror and you go, hey, I accept you. I accept you. I value you. You're important you mean everything to me. I mean, that's true, right? You look in the mirror, that person means everything to you. (laughs) Without that person, who are you? So this is why I find it so important when it comes to being self-nurturing and self-loving and self-compassionate, is that that person in the mirror is what's getting you through life. And if you aren't treating that person well, If you're putting that person down, if you're calling that person stupid or ugly or too fat or too skinny, if you're saying all these things or having all this negative self-talk to that person in the mirror, how do you think they feel? It's not a very pleasant feeling. You know, a lot of us do this. We'll say, oh, I'm so stupid. It's going to happen. I'm not saying to not do it. I'm not saying to invalidate the thoughts that come up in your mind. I'm just saying to also nurture yourself. Hey, I was so stupid today, but you know what? I value you. You You're important. You have gotten us this far, and you're going to take us even farther. I believe in you. Imagine saying those things. I know they sound like affirmations, but do it. (laughs) Do it anyway, and allow anything that comes to mind to be validated. See, this is what happens, is that I believe in validating even the bad stuff. Oh, I'm so stupid. And to have a part of you go, yeah, yeah, you were stupid. (laughs) Kind of makes me laugh when I say it about myself. But yeah, you were stupid. Okay. You made a mistake. Okay. You know, you validate that stuff instead of doing the, no, 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 you're not stupid. Don't, don't think that. That's invalidation. You're invalidating yourself when you do that. So how do you validate yourself? You validate even the things that you don't appreciate you're saying about yourself. You know what? You're so ugly. Yeah, I'm a little ugly, I guess. No, you're a lot ugly. Okay, I'm a lot ugly. All right, great. I validated that. Well, that doesn't make me feel very good. Then you you validate it because you don't want to give it any power. If you invalidate it, you resist it, you give it power. I know it's strange to think about it this way, but when you say, no, I'm not ugly, I am beautiful, and you don't believe it, that's what I say at the beginning of the show. It feels like you're lying to yourself. If you don't believe what you're affirming about yourself... Then it feels like a lie, which builds resistance in your body, which tells you, oh, that isn't true anyway. So now I have this other problem in me that is not only invalidating what I believe to be true, but also compounding it with a lie. And that doesn't feel very good either. So now I have twice as much negativity going on inside of me. So how do we change that? We validate what we're saying. I'm so stupid. I'm so ugly. I'm so fat. I'm so skinny. And we go, yeah, you are, you are, okay, fine, get over it, that's it, that's you, what else you got? That's what I like to say, what else you got? What else are you? Okay, so you get all that stuff out, you validate it, It doesn't feel very good, Uh, but what it does is it uh, relieves some of the pressure. There can be some release and relief when you do that, when you validate that, because how many people do that? A lot of people just say, no, 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 you're not that at all. And you don't feel that. You don't feel what they're saying. Unless they're very convincing. Some people are good. (laughs) Some people are good at convincing you. But let's just say that they're not very convincing. No, no, no. You're beautiful. You're beautiful just the way you are. Well, I don't feel that way. Okay. So I'm going to validate what I'm feeling. And you also look at that person in the mirror And say, you know what? I value you. You are so important. You are the person I need to get through in this life. I mean, think about it. How many people need you that much? How many people value you that much? It's hard to find people in life that value you as much as you can value yourself and should value yourself. I'm not talking about narcissism. I'm talking about looking at that person in the reflection and saying, wow. It's amazing that you got us this far. Thank you so much. I am appreciative. I'm so grateful for you. Yeah, but I'm so ugly and I'm so stupid. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I'm not going to invalidate that. And you're incredible. I would not have gotten here without you. Yeah, but we're in a crappy place and things could be better. Yeah, you're right. They could be better. Yet here we are. We're alive. And I value you so much. And I want to put all my faith and trust in you. Whoa, that's scary. Don't put all your faith and trust in me. I'm a screw up. You know, whatever comes to your mind. Yeah, you've screwed up. <laughs> I'm validating again. Yeah, you screwed up a lot. And here we are. We're still alive. We're still making it. And I recognize you. I notice you. I value you. I love you. I admire you. You are so resilient. You've gotten through all of this, even with this negative self-talk. Here you are still pushing forward I don't know too many people that can take all you have taken and still be here today to talk about it and push forward even more. You know what that does? That is like an inner parent nurturing an inner child when you talk to yourself like that. That is you self-nurturing to the max. That is the strongest form of nurturing for someone to look at you and say, oh my God, you are just amazing and you are just incredible in every way. You have accomplished so much. I am just so proud of you. Say that to yourself. You can validate the there's other stuff too, but make sure you also say that to yourself. And if you still have trouble with this, just remember to keep an open mind. This will help you step into your power. And in that powerful place, you can tell yourself these things. Because that's what you need sometimes. You need someone who is empowered to tell you this. And imagine when that person is you. Imagine when that person is you telling you. That it's okay to step into that power yourself. So you can be firm in your decisions and actions. This is what helps you create the life you want. Look at yourself and say always take steps to grow and evolve. Because you are powerful beyond measure. And above all. And this is something that I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing.